Welcome back, everybody, to the FBC Kyle podcast. This is episode seven. Can you believe we've done seven of these? Uh, Really excited. We just want to say thank you to everyone who's been watching. Uh, We really appreciate um, y'all doing that and supporting this. We're really excited about this form of ministry, Mm -hmm. and we're excited to see how the Lord's going to use it. So we just want to say thank you. Um, Before we go any further, would you like to open us up in prayer? Yeah, let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for loving us, and thank you, Lord, for wanting our best all the time. Lord, we know it brings you great joy to see us grow in our faith. And so, Lord, we just come to you, Lord, ask that you'd help us to grow right now because it'll make you happy, Father, because it'll bring glory to your name. So help us to grow in this time. And Lord, we'll thank you as you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this episode, we'll be doing the same thing. We just have a few questions from your sermon this past Sunday. Uh, If you would, would you go ahead and read the passage that you preached from? Yeah, I will. We started with Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, and I'll start with 38 and give us a running head start into it. And this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot there. <laughs> Leave it to Jesus to really just challenge you like that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's right. So this first question that we have uh, is, why is it so hard to love a difficult neighbor? Well, um, and we all have some difficult neighbors because we're difficult people. Yeah. But I think one of the things is uh, sometimes we don't understand what love is. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to love a person. And when we think of loving a neighbor or loving even our wife or our children or even God. Sometimes we're not exactly sure what that means. And usually, in most people's minds, it's tied up with an emotion. And so when we're talking about disagreeable neighbors, sometimes we're thinking, how can I like that person? Mm -hmm. Well, really, biblical love doesn't have a whole lot to do with liking them or feeling a certain way about them. In uh, 1 John 3, 16, it says, we know love by this. This is how we recognize it. He laid down his life for us. Mm. So real love is to love like Jesus. It's, an act, it's a commitment. Jesus made a commitment for us that was reflected in his actions of sacrifice, him laying his down, life down for us to meet our need. So that's what love looks like. Right. So real biblical love is about making a commitment that's reflected in actions of sacrifice to meet somebody's need. So when we understand that, then it makes it a, a little bit easier to love a disagreeable uh, neighbor right. because it's not about feeling a certain way. Right. It's about acting a certain way toward them to seek and work for their highest good. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the reasons we sometimes have a hard time with that part of it is, and I hate to say this, but I think some of it's pride. 
we're just not willing to humble ourselves and be the servant of someone who we don't think is worthy of it. Yeah. You know, how can I serve that neighbor? I don't like him. He never brought my lawnmower back from last week. You know, I mean, how am I supposed to really love that guy? But it, it means to we need to serve. We need to humble ourselves and serve. Um, and I think part of it, like I said, is pride. It's feeling like we deserve to be treated better than the neighbor is treating us, or mm-hmm. we deserve to be respected more or appreciated more. One thing I thought a lot about uh, when you were preaching was, if Jesus could love, <laughs> and I and like he he's God, but if he could love people who literally put him to death on right, a cross right. and like die for those people, we can probably extend grace and love to people who you know have not returned our lawnmower or whatever it is that you're saying like he really of all of the people that lived on this earth he had maybe the right to be mad and to be upset and like hate not hate but you know and so yeah if he could love then i feel like we don't have an excuse as followers of christ who had like we have the holy spirit to not love our neighbor exactly that's exactly right And, you know, the thing about Jesus, he says here something that's very profound. He says, if you only love people that love you, Mm. how are you different from the world? Everybody does that. If you you only love your brothers, (laughs) right, those that look like you and act like you and behave like you, you're you're not doing anything different from an unbeliever. So one of the characteristic marks of a true believer is supposed to be this ability to love even our enemies. That is the hallmark of Christian love right there. Mm. Really important. And we talked Sunday about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And one of the things that just overwhelms me every time I read that is how humble he was. He took on the garb of a servant. He put a Mm. towel around him. And he just served all of those guys in that room. And at the time, they had been arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they're not (laughs) understanding stuff. And they're not believing. And Jesus humbled himself. And he washed these guys' feet. That's so humbling. I remember in a church service one time, we were going to reenact that. I had the deacons get up. And the deacons were, uh, and I was going to wash the deacons' feet as a demonstration of this. And when we practiced, we didn't actually do it. We just said, okay, I'll come and wash your feet. And they're all joking around. I'm not gonna wash my socks for a week, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) But when it came for the service and I started washing their feet, they started weeping. Mm. To a man, they just broke down and cried. And this is, this is when we really love our neighbors, this is the power that it has. But it even goes a step further than that. Jesus not only washed these guys' feet, he washed Judas' feet. And the Bible says in that chapter, Satan had already put in his heart to betray Jesus. He was already determined. He was going to sell Jesus out. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus still washed his feet. You know, and that kind of love is uh, what we're talking about. And we're going to kind of, I'm going to have a question later about that because it's a specific kind of like you can't mm-hmm. just really have that love on your own, but we'll right. get to that one. Okay. But this next question is, does loving your neighbor mean that you have to be around people you don't like all the time? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think we, we will be. <laughs> but the thing, the idea of liking, um, no, we're going to have a natural affinity toward other people that right. are like us. I mean, we have, so we're going to have friends in our life that we feel close to and loved ones that feel, we feel close to. 
But the idea is if we aren't willing to extend that to people who aren't like us and people who may, we might look differently on their lifestyle or the way they look or the way they act or people from a different culture, mm-hmm. right? If we're not willing to expand that and include them in the circle of our life and our love, uh, then we're really not doing anything different from the unbelievers. The, the religious leaders of Jesus' day knew from the scriptures that God wanted them to love not only their neighbors, but their enemies. It says that in the Old Testament. They were supposed to help. A, if a man's ox fell in a ditch, they were supposed to help mm. uh, help him out. If he fell down with a load, they were supposed to help him get it up. But the amazing thing, he says, if your enemy's ox falls down, <laughs> then help him to do the same thing for an enemy that you would do for somebody you consider your neighbor. But the scribes and Pharisees, somehow they got that really twisted. And they made it about their neighbor being someone just like them. And not even Jew, just Jewish, mm-hmm. but of their particular religious persuasion among the Jewish people. Yeah. Well, and I think of like the, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Which, yeah. uh, But at the end of it, when Jesus, when that... Um, when that guy asks, who is my neighbor? Or Jesus asks, so who is your neighbor? And uh, the guy just couldn't even say, like, Samaritan, right? He couldn't yeah. even couldn't say. Couldn't say the word yeah, Samaritan. Yeah, like that that level of just dislike for someone. I, I don't know. It's it's so, I, I see that so much in just, in myself as well. But just, mm-hmm. you see that in a lot of churches, I guess. Not that specifically, but just a lot of people kind of clicking together mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. really, like, including other people or making other people feel uh you know comfortable and it's kind of just like if you're not reaching out to these people in this specific situation I'm kind of rambling I'm sorry but (laughs) in this specific situation like if you're not reaching out and loving and like offering whatever it is to that person then it's kind of like biblically you're not loving you're not loving them right yeah and that's I feel like I've seen I've heard a lot of people just kind of express their dislike for church Mm -hmm. because it feels really clicky and it just Mm -hmm. feels very like i don't know these people just kind of like are not really affiliating with anybody that they don't really like and it's just like so sad because that's not how jesus was in his ministry at all all. it's kind of interesting too because i've come across that as well and at one point in my uh, spiritual journey as a christian you know i was ready to kind of throw in the towel i was just starting out in ministry and I was like, man, I'd see some. I'd already seen some pretty rough things in churches, and it really disillusioned me uh, to the point where I was just praying to God, "You're going to have to show me something, God, here for me to stay, mm. to keep walking this way, and and my faithfulness in the church." And um, he eventually, and I was praying like, I need to see a comet. It sounds strange. <laughs> I need to see a big tree fall in front of me or something. Right. And uh, he talked to me, he said, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. And then he showed me something. He said, you serve me. And as long as I'm worthy, serve me. We serve as believers. We work and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we serve the church on his behalf. Right. But Jesus is worthy. I mean, so it's like, okay, Jesus has never disappointed me, so I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep serving him. And sometimes when people say, there's so many many cliquish people in the church that I don't want to associate with them. Well, that's kind of being cliquish. So, I mean, it's like. Yeah. And that same faults in all of us to a degree. Yeah. You know. And just loving people, like 
serving people uh, often like you just affiliate love with like treating someone a certain way or speaking mm-hmm. to somebody in a certain way or like it's just very fluffy and it's like love is like also serving people yeah, like what do you need how can i help yeah. you um and that's kind of just how jesus was we've been watching that uh show the chosen mm-hmm. uh, in our home group and man just the way they depict jesus in that show and how like loving and kind and gentle he is to yeah, everyone it's yeah. like it puts a different perspective and it kind of helps. Obviously that man is not Jesus, but <laughs> you know, kind of to see how he's portrayed is like, that's kind of something to like try and mimic just it like really this, is. this love for people, yeah. you know, even yeah. though he knew like what you're saying with Judas, like, you know, washing his feet, even though he knew he was going to betray him. Yeah. It's just like, that's powerful. It's powerful. And I think a lot of times we, we have a misconception. We think when I really start feeling a love for people, then I'm going to really start doing things for others. Mm. But the thing about it is when we commit that to the Lord and ask the Lord to help us, and then we start doing things for others, yep. we begin to love people. Feelings follow actions. Feelings yeah. follow faith. And faith is always evidenced in actions. And so the idea is let's just obey by faith. Let's walk by faith and let Jesus deal with how we feel about people. And right. he'll change us. He'll completely mm. change our heart. Amen. Yeah. Um, so this third question, you kind of talked about this in your sermon mm-hmm. as well, but what is the biblical definition of hate? Yeah, that's a tough one because I think we think of it in terms of our culture. Right. Um, but if we have to understand what biblical love is to understand what the opposite of it is. So uh, let me read another passage, I guess, in 1 John. Um, just quoted one. But let me, let me just look at another one right quick here in 1 John chapter 3. It, and it starts with that verse we just quoted. We know love by this. This is what love looks like, that he laid down his life for us. That's what love looks like. That's exactly what it is. Then he says this, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We need to do the same thing. Mm. But whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't. So real love is being like Jesus, right, and laying down our lives for others. And that sacrifice is supposed to be evidenced in how we treat them. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says two times, love your enemies. And both times he says, do good to them. Do good to them. In the passage we just read uh, from Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, he prefaces this idea of loving our enemies by saying, listen, if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other one. Right. If they sue you for your shirt, give them your coat. You know, and if they make you walk a mile, walk two. Mm. So that's what love is. It's this commitment reflected in actions of sacrifice to meet the needs of another person. Now, then what's the opposite of that? Sometimes we think the opposite of biblical love is to be angry, to be hostile, to be filled with wrath and desire vengeance. That's hatred. But that's not biblically what hatred is. It's the opposite of biblical love, which is simply not to meet a brother's need. It's to see someone in need and not care and be apathetic and be indifferent. The opposite of biblical love in the scriptures is indifference to not care, to not meet their need. That to me is overwhelming when you think about it. It puts it at a whole different level because you know, most of us would say, you know, I don't really hate other people. I don't have bad feelings for other people. 
I don't go around just feeling like I need to seek vengeance on this group or that person or hold a grudge. I, that's not me. I don't do that. I don't hate people. But biblically, if we see somebody in need or a group of people that need our help or someone that just needs to come alongside and weep with them mm-hmm. and we don't do it biblically, we hate them. We hate Man. That's a very different way of looking at it. Yeah. And that, I don't know. Hate is such a strong, like, word. Mm-hmm. I feel like people do use it in this, like, angry, you know, type of way. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, when you lay it out that way, I feel like it's even heavier because yeah. that's something that happens a lot. It happens a lot. Like, I mean, amongst a lot of Christians, it's just yeah. kind of like, no, I have my own thing going on here. I have yeah. my own responsibilities here. So, sorry. You know, and yeah. it's just like, wow. It's really a different way of looking at it. In Proverbs 13, it talks about parenting the same way. Mm. If you spare the rod, you hate your son. Proverbs 13. You see, the hatred is the indifference. To not care. Mm. To not do what's in best in, in the best interest of your son. And, and that's to hate them. It's the indifference. It's the apathy. It's the not caring. There's a lot of people who are parents, if you were to ask them, do you hate your children? They say, of course not. I love my children. Right. I love to be, oh, just the mention of their name just fills my heart with love. But then if you get right down to what biblically hatred is, if they're indifferent to their children, mm-hmm. if they're not meeting their children's needs, if they're not sacrificing for their children, that's hating hating them. Yeah. And so it, it really brings it to a very different kind of a level, yeah. this idea of hatred. A whole different definition, yeah. honestly. And yeah, that is, because there's, you hear people say, like, there's so much hate going on in the world. Yeah. You know, and there is a lot of evil in the world, but... There's so much more hatred than we think based on what the Bible is defining as hatred. There really is. And one of the things about this that's important for us to understand is you can't uh, overcome hatred by hatred. Mm. This idea of indifference. You can't, um, you can't overcome indifference by, be- indifference by being indifferent. Right. <laughs> the idea is or by violence or by anger. The only way to overcome hatred is with love. Mm. It's the only way to overcome it because indifference is the opposite of love. So when we really take it upon ourselves to ask God to help us to make a commitment that's going to be reflected in our actions of sacrifice to meet other people's needs, that overcomes hatred. Mm. That's the opposite of hatred. And it changes other people's lives when we do that. You know, that kind of makes me think, not to to go too far off here, but... Mm -hmm. Um, right now with all the like racial relation, you know, that kind of yeah. needs to happen and all this like racial struggle right now, there's a lot of Christians that are super indifferent towards it. Yeah. They're not mad about it. They're not, you know, they, they don't really, they just don't have an opinion. They're just kind of like, oh, that's really not something that I'm worried about, you know? And I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, I think, you know, if we use this biblical definition, they might say they don't that we don't hate people of another culture or race or whatever. But if th- that people or that people of that culture or race or ethnic group, if they have a need and we're not willing to help meet the need, according mm-hmm. to the Bible, that indifference is hatred. So they might say, well, you know, that's another, I don't have bad feelings toward them. Everything's, but if technically, if we're not showing the love of God in trying to help in some way, and it might be prayer. Mm-hmm. It might be lifting them up in prayer. It might be just praying for them and, and seeking, you know, ways that we can make a difference. 
if if we're not um, showing the love of Jesus biblically, um, I believe we're hating them. Yeah, and like if you think just kind of to bring bring it back to Jesus, like how he is with us, he's not indifferent to no, us. You right? know, he doesn't yeah. treat us like oh, sorry, that's your problem, not yeah. mine. Like you know, he's. He's very much like he loves us so much um, and he's so like he cares so much. You know, there's so Mm -hmm. much empathy for like when we're struggling and when we're going through something, we bring it to him. Like, yeah. So it's like, again, if Jesus is if Jesus is like that, then we should also be like that, you know, and uh, regardless of how we feel someone should be feeling. It's like if they are feeling it, then we should address it and right. like be sympathetic in, in all circumstances, not just, you know. Yeah, I agree. But I agree. Yeah. Also, I had a quick question. Side note. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, is he pr- does he pray for us? Yeah, I believe. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Mm. I think there's a, two connotations to that, really. Some would say he's pleading his blood, the fact that we are his blood-bought children of the Most High God. Mm-hmm. He's that constant reminder at the right hand of the Father. Mm-hmm. But then there's another connotation that people associate with that, and that is Jesus is praying for us. And this idea of he ever lives He's eternally making intercession for us. I, I personally think it involves both of those things. Mm. But it's a, it's a tremendously powerful thing to think about. If we're in a, a room here recording, and these walls aren't too thick, if <laughs> Jesus was in the next room praying for us, and we could hear his prayers for us, how would it change our life? It would revolutionize our We wouldn't be afraid. Jesus is praying for me in that mm. next room. The Lord is praying that I would be enabled, that I would be equipped. He'd pray, you know, he'd be praying for my ministry. He'd be powerful. Yeah. But the reality is I personally believe that Jesus is praying for us. And that there's something very, very powerful in that and something so loving yeah. in that. Yeah. And, like, again, if we're supposed to, like, pray for our, you know, brothers and sisters or, you know, just yeah. anybody, uh, like, Jesus is ex- exemplifying that. You yeah, know, he's yeah. doing that for us. So it's like and he loves us so much in that way. Like that's such a loving thing to do. I think is to like pray for someone or like, uh, so yeah, I think if he's doing that for us, I mean, we should do it for others. And that just shows how much he loves us. You know, one of the ways that, well, we see his love, but uh, this next question is, can we love in the agape uh, form people if we don't know God? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, cause I think we have to understand what that is. You know, and we mentioned Sunday, and a lot of people have heard the different definitions of love. There's phileo, phileo, and and that's a brotherly kind of love. Mm-hmm. Then there's the storge, and that's the family kind of love, kinship love. There's eros, this romantic love. Mm-hmm. But then there's this agape, and this is God's kind of love. And God's love is the kind of love that seeks and works for the highest good of the one being loved. It's it's a not just seeking, but seeking and acting for mm. that person's highest good. That's the way God loves us. We just read, this is what love looks like, that he gave his life for us. And so that's what it looks like. So that kind of a love is only possible in its fullest sense when the Holy Spirit is working through a Christian. Now, there's a lot of people that do very helpful things. There, there's a lot of philanthropists, right. and there's people that work very seriously to help other people. But if it's not born of the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible say? All of our righteousness, the good things, is as filthy rags. Right. So from heaven's perspective, unless it's born of the Spirit, if it's born of the flesh, 
then it really isn't anything of eternal significance. Mm. Jesus said it this way. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I assume that means love other people too. So without his help, without the Holy Spirit. So I would say people can be helpful. They can be kind. They can be even sacrificial in giving to the needs of others. But true agape love, this kind of God's love, is only possible when the love of God is placed in us and flows through us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow. But I would add to that. I said this kind of, I would say this kind of love is also not possible for a Christian who's not walking with God because it's of the Spirit. Ooh. And so when we're not walking with the Lord, we may do good deeds for people. We may do a lot of helpful things. But when we're really not yielded to the Lord, when he doesn't have all of our heart and life that there is to have, we can't love in the f- fullest way possible with this agape love right. as God intended. Man, that's super yeah. convicting. <laughs> I know for me too, right? Because it, it's not a one-time thing. It's a day-to-day. Right. It's, a, it's a question of commitment and yieldedness exactly. to God. It's almost like you have to wake up every day and recommit that, you know, like, yeah. re, you know, kind of refocus and be like, okay, today I'm going to try and love people like yeah, in this, like in this way and that's it's yeah like i like how, how you just said that like it's not just like a one-time deal it's, yeah, it's not. kind of like it's a, a continu- continuation well, one of the things i would say too um but when we do love that way there's something very confirming about it in mm-hmm. other words it confirms his presence in our life and the power of god in our life and when we love somebody with that spirit inspired and enabled kind of love that's god's love shed abroad in our hearts and offered to other people, it just—it's almost like it comes right back to us, and we understand this is the love of God. Right. This is the love that I have. The love I just shared is the same way He loves me, and there's something very, very encouraging about that. Yeah. And, and you know, when we do love, I think that's a great testimony too. When you love people like mm-hmm. that, you know, because yeah. then it's obviously a different kind of love. And so when people notice that, and they can ask, like, "What is that? Like, what is that different thing?" And you say, "Well, that's God. Like, that's, that's God. Jesus. Amen. That's how yeah. He loves you. That's how He loves me." And like, that's such a great testimony. Even just loving people, you know, the yeah. way God intended it is. Yeah. yeah there's a lot there. But. And the ultimate testimony of that is Jesus takes it to the extreme in, in the text we were reading is to love enemies. Right. It's, that's the ultimate. Forget Because there's that. no other human explanation for that other right. than something has changed that person's heart. God is at work. Very true. You know, when we love an enemy, it's just so, you know, so powerful. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Did the camera die? <laughs> or not die, but it Earth stopped recording. Stopped. Stopped so you, you just hit record and, oh, peace. Cool. So... This, I'm going to skip, I'm going to come back to this next question, but I'll go to the next one because okay. this kind of ties into loving your enemy. Sure. How can you love someone who has deeply wronged you, like physical abuse, yeah. emotional abuse? That's you know? really hard. But again, it comes back to understanding what loving them means. Right. It doesn't mean you have to like them. It doesn't mean you have to agree that what they did to you was right. It's none of that. And sometimes we feel like if I forgive them, it's like saying it was okay. That's not it at all. Right. I'd say that really uh, begins with asking God to help us and being willing, being willing to forgive them and to love them. Mm. That's not something we can do on our own. 
God's going to have to help us with that. So go to the Lord and ask for his help yeah. and, and admit, uh, I have these feelings. I just am not capable of doing this. I can't get beyond it. God to help me. And then the next step, I think, before even prayer for them or working to help them is forgiveness. Because if I'm not willing to forgive others, the Bible says I won't be forgiven. Right. And let's talk about my relationship with God there. So when, until I'm willing to forgive, I'm not going to have the Lord's help in yeah. forgiving them and loving them. So I have to, I have to forgive them. And uh, that's just a, you make a commitment with asking God's help, right, to yeah. say, you know, I make a commitment. I make a decision in the power of the Holy Spirit to begin to act as if I have forgiven them. Right. And it's that's the, some people think that forgiveness is the feeling and they wait for the feeling to come and they think when I felt a certain way toward them or when my hard feelings are gone, then I've forgiven them. That's really not yeah. forgiveness. Forgiveness is making a commitment to act toward them in a certain way. Yeah. Now, once we've forgiven them, then we can begin to pray for them. And that changes things. We start to pray for them. Yeah. And we pray and seek and work for their highest good. We begin to pray for them. When we pray for them, God begins to change how we see them. Right. And even what they did, not to say that it's okay. But it, it, he begins to change us. And then he begins to empower us to begin to live a certain way toward them. Yeah. So prayer changes. So this idea, admit we can't do it. Ask God to help us forgive them. Once we've made a decision to forgive, pray for them, and then begin to ask ourselves these questions. What is in their highest good? Mm -hmm. What would result in their highest good? If me confronting them with this would be their highest good, help them, I'll do it. If me um, uh, calling them just to talk to them and affirm my life, if me pray, continue to pray and ask for an opportunity to lead them to Christ, mm -hmm. then begin to work for their highest good. Yeah, that's so powerful. And like, there's a lot of people that, you know, have have experienced something like this, mm -hmm. like physical abuse or emotional abuse or whatever it is, you know. And um, I've just seen a lot of, you know, and not in like a negative way, but there's just like a lot of bitterness yeah. almost yeah. because they kind of aren't. I feel like forgiveness is really important in like kind of going forward, yeah, you know, because once you forgive, then you can start acting yeah like in a different way and then that's when all the bitterness and feelings of course are not going to go away overnight but yeah i've just seen a lot of so do you think like bitterness comes from lack of forgiving yeah it, it does and it's like locking yourself in a jail cell that you only you have the key for mm. what happens when if we're not willing to forgive every spiritual ministry of the holy spirit in our life stops everyone except conviction Ooh. <laughs> So it's like if I'm holding unforgiveness in my heart, yeah. the thing is answered prayer, enabled ministry, uh, nearness and uh, awareness of the nearness of God in worship. Yeah. The, every ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life stops with unforgiveness. Oh. And, and that's it's a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. But the good news is once we forgive, uh, then we have opened the door, opened the prison door, and set ourselves free. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit works in our lives. But it's so, so important. Yeah. It really is. And, again, like, I, I don't think it's like an overnight process, you know. I think that it takes time and a lot of 
kind of re turning to the Lord and asking him for help and strength and guidance, you know, when it comes to forgiving someone who's really wronged you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like if you want to move forward, you do have to have forgive, to. but that's hard. It is really hard, it, but it damages us in so many ways. Yeah. Until somebody can work beyond that hurt, whether it's some form of abuse, it, it affects them spiritually, but it affects them emotionally. They stop growing emotionally Oof. and that affects all the relationships in their lives. So spiritually, emotionally, it can even harm them physically. Mm. So the the thing of it is, it's just it's one of the most damaging things. Unforgiveness is is a it's it's almost like drinking poison and hoping it will affect somebody else. You know, it's just very damaging. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Well, we'll move on to this next question. But <laughs> the first half of this question could be a a question on its own, but how can I be more disciplined in my prayer life so yeah. that I can pray for my enemies? Yeah, I think that's good. Um, I, th- I would say this, start by prioritizing prayer by understanding what it is. Mm. Prayer is not a ritual. It really isn't. And we can treat it as a ritual. Paul talked about people who thought they would be heard of God because of their vain repetitions. <laughs> that has nothing to do with real prayer. Right. So it's not a ritual. It's not an obligation. It is a, a communication. It's a personal relationship that we have with the creator of the universe. And when we appreciate what prayer is, to be able to talk to God, you know, to be able to run into his presence at any time, you know, when we appreciate that. And, you know, in, in the Old Testament days, you didn't run to the king's presence unless you had an invitation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you just didn't do that, yeah. or you you get you got killed. In the in the in terms of the the Jewish people, the holy of holies of the presence of God. You did not run into the holy of holies. There was a high priest that went in there once a year, mm-hmm. and he had to have his sins dealt with before he went in. One person, once a year. But when Jesus died on the cross. The veil of the temple uh, was torn. That holy of holies was torn from the top to the bottom. And it just showed now anyone who has faith in Christ can come directly into the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's what prayer is. So I think understanding what this great privilege is about can help us that we get to talk and have a personal relationship through Christ with the Lord of all creation. What would you ask the Lord of all creation? Ask. What advice would you want him to give you? Ask. Yeah. That's prayer. So I think that's we prioritize it when we understand what it is. And then it becomes more meaningful in our life when we get closer to the one we're talking to. I know uh, my wife and I, Karen, when we first met, uh, we hit it off right away. Mm-hmm. And I can remember taking her to a Burger King. Ooh. <laughs> I was a youth director at the time. <laughs> And we talked for like two or three hours at Burger King, and we hit it off. But you know what? The more I knew Karen, the more I looked forward to spending time with her. And when we prioritize prayer in our life, what happens is the more we know God and our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we love him and the more we want to spend time with him. Now, granted, there are times where we're more, you know, not as enthusiastic about prayer. We all go through those drier times or whatever. But I think really understanding what prayer is, the, the privilege of it, 
and then using it as an opportunity to really have a good relationship with God who mm. loves us. Um, it's not a religious thing. It's not a ritual. It's a personal relationship with God himself. And you know that, that idea. I think that'll help us, but it starts out with prioritizing it. You know, okay, we're gonna meet, and we're gonna meet at this time, we're gonna do this, and gradually over, over time, the love begins to make it more and more of a joy yeah. to do it. And when you word it that way too, and when you kind of remember like, yeah, all the things people had to do to just like get into the presence of the Lord, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's like now we don't have to go through all these hoops. It's just right. like we have direct contact with God and like what a privilege that Isn't is. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And the picture I always have of that is a king dignified sitting on a throne. And, the, and what a throne. The Bible says the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. Oh. That's our God. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. But I picture God sitting on his throne and then nobody comes into his presence uninvited. But then one of his kids runs in and they run right up to, he sets his scepter aside yeah. and he opens up his arms and his child runs up into his lap and he hugs him and he sits him on his lap and he says, let's talk. Yeah. We are the children of the most high God through Christ. Yeah. And we always have an audience with the king because he's our father. Yeah. And he loves us. And we can run and jump into his lap anytime. Anytime. And like, who are we that we get to do that? I you know, know, right? Like, what a privilege and an honor to just be able to be in the presence of God. Amen. Like, what you know. an honor. What an honor. But you know, it's, and like he sent his son, right, to like die for our sins. And because of that, we're seen as, you know, yeah. like spotless, if you will. And yeah, that's just like such a gift. You it know? is. And I think it kind of informs how we should forgive our enemies because we were the enemies of God, mm -hmm. right? You know, because of our sin, we had made ourselves the enemies of God. Yeah. So what did God do for us at, while we were his enemies? Loved he gave us. his loved us. He yeah. gave his son for us. He loved us. And, and because of that, then he made it possible for us to be accepted, not just as not an enemy anymore, but as a member of his family. Right. And not just a member as, of his family, but a joint heir with his son Christ to rule and reign with him forever. Yeah. This is how God treats his enemies. And to me, when I look at that, how can I aspire to do anything less? And I, I am so imperfect at all of this oh, I am so, but this is the way God loves his enemies this is the way Jesus loves his enemies yeah, yeah. and they're so ooh, that's good that's really really that's such a powerful thing yeah. um so this is we have one last question we actually had a few less this week that didn't make sense what I just said but here's this question yeah. uh who is my neighbor in biblical terms yeah that's a good one because mm. uh we were talking earlier that the religious leaders had redefined that so narrowly right. to someone that was like them, of their own same religious group, lived the same life, looked the same, of the same ethnicity. And Jesus actually addressed that. that in Jesus' day, that was a point of contention and debate among the religious leaders. So a, a lawyer came to Jesus, and a lawyer was an expert in the Jewish law. So he comes to Jesus. And he, Jesus is asking him, which is, what do you think? Which is the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do that and you'll live. But then afterward, it says, seeking to justify himself, okay? 
he wants to get Jesus involved with this. He says, okay, who's my neighbor? So that's when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? right? So Jesus tell this, tells this story, and it was so radical. I mean, so radical. Mm-hmm. The, the rabbis told stories. It was a priest and a Levite and a Jew. And that was a common formulation for these stories. Jesus says it was a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan. Right. And so in that story, remember, it was the Samaritan who proved to be the good neighbor. So he kind of answers two questions there. And the first one, who is my neighbor? It's whoever has a need. Hmm. That guy, they didn't know. They, we assumed he was Jewish. We don't know. They even took his clothes, and people couldn't be identified by the clothes that they wore. <laughs> there was no identifying markers on this man. He couldn't speak. He didn't have an accent. He wasn't talking. Right. Nobody knew who this guy was. And so it was the Samaritan who treated him as a neighbor. And so that's one point. The neighbor is anyone who has a need that God puts in our path. And the second part is then who is a good neighbor is the one who meets the need. Mm. You know, that's really powerful. And it really answers that question, you know, um, to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Who is my neighbor? And I think it's it's our answer too. It's the it's those who have a need that God puts in our path. Right. And then, you know, and then being that good neighbor to them is meeting the need. Right. Oh as man. As best we can. That's just I like this whole conversation has been so convicting, right? Because there's too. just so many people who ne- who have needs in this world, yeah. and I actually kind of just want to challenge anyone who's watching. Um, if you know someone who has a need, I just want to challenge you to reach out to them mm-hmm. and uh, just offer your support and your love to those people, and really just love them as Christ loves us. Uh, and that's a challenge to myself as yeah. well, but. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, you bet. Uh, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk about this. And, you know, the, the one thing at the end is something, the very end of what Jesus said in our text in Matthew. Um, he says something that is really convicting to me. He says, therefore, you are to be perfect. In this context in, of the, the whole Sermon on the Mount, but also in this specifically, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when I think about the word perfect can mean mature or brought to completion. And, but here he's talking about the perfection of the Father. He's talking about absolute perfection. So the thing is, I read that, and then when I apply it to this area of loving my enemies, my first response is, I can't do right. that. I can't do it. There is no possible way that I can be perfect, as perfect as my Heavenly Father is in this. And I think that's kind of the place for me to begin. It's like, God, I can't do this. Right. You know, I just cannot possibly do this. There is no way. And if this is going to happen, you're going to have to do it. It's going to have to be your perfection in loving enemies in me and through me. So please, God, help me. Mm. Help me with this. I yield my life to you. I just want to be the earthen vessel that you can carry this love around in. You know, and, and once we do that, then it's the very love of God that we share. Right. It's not our imitation of it. It is the love of God himself, mm. that perfect love. And that changes lives. 
Ooh, amen. That changes lives. Yeah. And like, that's true. It's to do anything that the Lord calls us to do. I feel like we can't do that on our own. We have to have, you know, we have to ask God. We have to like, you know, (laughs) utilize the Holy Spirit. And yeah, God gives us the strength to do, you know, he's equipped us. Like he's given us his Holy Spirit. So whatever it is he's calling us to do, he's going to help us with. But yeah, it's like so important to ask him and remember that it's him who's giving you the strength to do these things. Yeah, that's a good reminder too. Because a lot of times I just try and like, I got this, you know, I try and do yeah. things on my own, whatever it is. And it's like, ooh, then I realize like really quickly that I don't have it. And um, I definitely just just rely on God. And yeah, for sure, he'll He'll help us love our enemies yeah. the way, you know, that he loves them. So. Amen. Amen. Well, that is yeah. episode seven of the FBC Kyle podcast. Um, if you're ever watching the sermon on YouTube or Facebook, go ahead and comment any questions that you have and we'll, we'll answer them here. Um, if you're watching on the website, you can go ahead and email your questions to info at fbckyle.com. Thank you all so much for joining us Thank this you. week. Uh, would you like to pray us out? Yeah, let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful, Lord, that you love us this way. This is your love. And Lord, we were your enemies. Lord, but Lord, you've given your son that we might be part of your family. This is the way you love your enemies. This is the way you love us. Lord, we can't love that way, but you can do this in us and through us. Please, Lord, grant it. Please, Lord, forgive us for anything in our heart or in our life that would keep us from being used of your Holy Spirit to show this love. It's so much needed right now. And we know that this love is the answer to the very, very serious problems that we're seeing in our culture, in our nation, in our world today. So, Lord, help us to be instruments of that peace by showing your love. Lord, thank you. And thank you for this opportunity to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.